My name is Casey, and this is Becoming Europe, a twice-a-month podcast delving into the real effects and impacts of European migrant and refugee policy. Today, we're doing a current events episode surrounding the UK's Rwanda plan, otherwise called the Rwanda policy. I would like to mention up front that this is an ongoing situation, so some information may be different from the time recorded to the time that this episode is public. However, news sources to look out for in regards to updates or anything about the Rwanda plan will be linked in the description. In this episode, we will specifically explore what the Rwanda plan is, the irony behind the UK's migrant and refugee policy, the reception of this plan, and what we can do about it. So enjoy. Hey, this is Casey from the editor's station, my desk. I would like to say that I make two errors in this um, that I just like can't let slide. I say that Rwanda is 4,000 miles away from Rwanda. I do in fact mean the United Kingdom. And additionally, I say that Liz Truss is Boris Johnson's predecessor when I did in fact mean successor. So 4,000 miles, Rwanda to the UK, Liz Truss is Boris Johnson's successor. So just putting that information out there. Please enjoy the rest of the episode. Thanks. So specifically, what is the Rwanda plan? It is sometimes referred to as the Rwanda plan, the Rwanda policy, or the Rwanda asylum plan. So if you are ever doing your own research on the matter, or if you're trying to find news about it, it is called any of these three things. So what is the plan exactly? It is currently a five-year trial by the UK government, which entails that illegal refugees, asylum seekers, and migrants, aka people who cross the English Channel, they say it is people who cross the English Channel, but in reality, there are many means in which the UK government can claim that someone seeking asylum is illegal, but that... I digress. These populations receive a one-way ticket to Rwanda to claim asylum there rather than claim asylum in the UK. There is no limit on the number of people that will be sent to Rwanda through this plan. Essentially, the government has claimed that, quote, they may be granted refugee status to stay in Rwanda. If not, they can apply to settle there on other grounds or seek asylum in a, quote, safe third country, unquote. For context, Rwanda is 4,000 miles or 6,500 kilometers from Rwanda. So this isn't an easy journey, and I will explain some of the other dangers that can come from this journey. But one of the main goals of this plan is to deter people from coming to the UK through, quote, illegal, dangerous, or unnecessary methods, unquote, as I mentioned those people crossing the English Channel in small boats. This current plan has put a lot of spotlights on certain statistics about those people crossing the English Channel. So in 2020, 8,404 people crossed the English Channel in small boats. In 2021, it was 28,526. And so far, as of 2022, 25,000 people have crossed the English Channel. However, there is an overall estimation of 60,000 people crossing by the end of 2022. So these numbers are doubling, tripling, quadrupling over the course of three years. We're not looking at statistics of decades anymore. We're looking at statistics from a year ago, two years ago, that are rapidly changing. And so the UK, through the Rwanda plan, hopes to deter people from crossing those means. And they will say that they want to deter people from going through dangerous or unnecessary methods. But in reality, they're just kind of opening up even more danger and frankly, an even more unnecessary method for these people to find and claim asylum or refugee status, especially because 
they have no idea where these refugees, asylum seekers, or migrants are coming from. They could have traveled thousands of miles already just to reach the UK, where perhaps they have family members they're trying to reach. Or perhaps they have a connection somewhere in the UK and they have been traveling to reach that connection. If they go through the English Channel, which a lot of refugees, migrants, and asylum seekers don't have any other choice but to, they are subject to be sent away to Rwanda, even if they came thousands of miles to possibly be with English family or an English connection that they have. And one of the reasons why, besides the deterring populations from crossing the English Channel that the UK government claims is a reason for this, is also to save expenses. The current refugee reception system the UK has costs £1.5 billion a year, with more than £4.7 million spent on hotels for homeless incoming migrants and refugees. So technically speaking, the Rwanda plan is set to be less expensive. Now, I am not someone who is very good with numbers, but I can't imagine this system would also be very cheap in terms of gathering the individuals, getting them on a plane, the funding that it takes to get that plane, and then get that plane to Rwanda 4,000 miles away, and then deal with the repercussions there, just seems like it's not, it's not the cheapest option. But once again, numbers are not my thing. Additionally, Boris Johnson, then Prime Minister, said that this plan would, quote, save countless lives, unquote, by stopping, quote, vile people smugglers, unquote. As I mentioned, this long journey can come with a lot of dangers, and one of those is that in reality, it's not necessarily the refugees coming in that puts people more at risk of human trafficking, but this journey, this constant like moving from point A to point B and then suddenly to point C, actually does make people more susceptible to trafficking and to smuggling and to those dangerous things, which doesn't seem to be something that Boris Johnson understands. And so those are kind of the two big reasons why the UK wants this plan, to deter people from crossing illegally and additionally to save on expenses. And they think that this is like a much safer option. And so one of the big questions being asked is, can Rwanda accept refugees? Like, it seems kind of random that the UK would be like, hey, Rwanda, could you take all of our refugees that we don't want or we can't have or whatever reason they want to give? And Rwanda just says, yeah, sure. Now, part of the deal, it kind of is a trade. The UK will send refugees over to Rwanda and in turn, Rwanda can send some of their more vulnerable refugees which I just think is a little interesting because the whole point of the UK is to deter people from coming. Of course, they're saying illegally, but like if you've listened to previous episodes of this podcast, like it is not the illegal part that people have a problem with. It is the refugee migrant asylum seeker part. So it's interesting that they develop this whole system to kind of shill off the responsibility, which we will talk about later, to another country, all while taking in refugees all the same. But I digress. Returning to the question of, is Rwanda an acceptable place for refugees? And the UK government has said Rwanda can, and that Rwanda is a, quote, secure country with a track record of supporting asylum seekers, unquote. Which is rich given how the UK sees their own reception of refugees, but we will talk about that in the next segment. However, lawyers from the high court who represent the opposing side of the Rwanda policy claim that, quote, Rwanda is in substance a one-party authoritarian state with extreme levels of surveillance that does not tolerate political opposition, end quote. So there is this concern over Rwanda's human rights record, which is an issue at hand, and the UK government doesn't seem like they are really ready to tackle that. Instead, they are kind of just happy that Rwanda will take their refugee population. And I would like to highlight more that 
a lot of refugees, asylum seekers, migrants do go to countries where they might have some connection, either a distant family member or they might have a job lined up, or it's simply just the closest country that they can get to. So there are a lot of reasons why refugees, migrants, and asylum seekers would pick the UK. So then uprooting them even further by then removing them to Rwanda, a country that speaks a whole other language, that has a whole other operating system, that is 4,000 miles further than they intended to go, just kind of raises the risk levels much more higher than the UK government is ready to admit. And I think that a lot of people may have had some kind of false hope that when Boris Johnson stepped down, that his predecessor would kind of put the crackdown on this policy. However, Liz Truss, the current prime minister, intends to, quote, support and extend the policy, end quote. So it doesn't seem like this is going off the table anytime soon. I mean, the plan came about, they were starting it as of January 1st, 2022, any illegal crossings would be sent to Rwanda and now it is September as I am recording this, so it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere anytime soon. However, thankfully, no flights have left for Rwanda yet. There has been technical difficulties, there have been a lot of protests, so there have been kind of a slow march towards the UK government accomplishing this plan as no flights have left yet. So now that we know more about the Rwanda policy, we can talk about how ironic it is, frankly, because Boris Johnson literally has bragged about the UK's, quote, unparalleled record, end quote, of accepting refugees and bragged about how great they were at receiving Ukrainian refugees, which, if you would like to hear a whole episode talking about the reception of Ukrainian refugees and refugees from the Middle East, you can check out the interview that I did with Our World 2. We talked a lot about how it's not fair to kind of prioritize certain refugees over others and kind of pit them against each other. So if you'd like to hear about that, that episode is out there. And he even said in a speech, quote, we understand how much refugees have to give to this country and we understand how much this country has to gain from welcoming refugees. And we will be generous and we are being generous, end quote, which once again is kind of rich because in what way is this generous? These people cross thousands of miles to end up here and you don't know what kind of connection they might have to the UK. You don't know if they're meeting family, like I've mentioned, or some kind of job connection, or if it is the closest country or the one that has quote-unquote the best track record for accepting refugees. Like essentially you can't say that you appreciate refugees so much and then in the same breath say, but get them out of here. Like, we will move them to Rwanda instead. And another huge irony is that this whole plan breaches the Refugee Convention, which has been confirmed by the United Nations Refugee Agency, that, quote, asylum seekers must not be penalized for arriving in Britain by any regular route, unquote. So the whole thing that they are saying about the Rwanda plan, that it will deter people from crossing illegally, they are not technically allowed to penalize people for crossing through any regular route. If that is the only route that they can cross by... They are not allowed to be discriminated against, penalized by the UK government from crossing, and that means they still deserve the same reception that a refugee crossing, quote-unquote, legally would receive. And the UNHCR, which is the United Nations Refugee Agency, also wrote in a statement that, quote, a decision to treat an asylum seeker's claim as inadmissible on the basis that the individual arrived illegally by a dangerous journey, with the consequence that the claim will be determined only in Rwanda under less favorable asylum procedures, is a penalty. Not only that, but it also does go against Article 32 of the Refugee Convention, which states that contracting states, of which the UK is one of, shall not expel refugees. And frankly, I think that taking refugees who have 
crossed into the UK and then just shipping them to Rwanda does count as an expulsion of refugees. I'm sure that some lawyer out there would nitpick the language of expel, but I think that it, I think it counts. And I think that the UNHCR makes an excellent point that you can't just claim these people as inadmissible because they decided to go a route that you don't deem as the appropriate way. Especially because there's all this logic by the government systems about the right way to enter a country. And it's like, unless you have been a refugee, a migrant, or an asylum seeker when you have maybe been forced to flee or have lived in awful conditions and you're trying to find a better life for your family, like maybe the first thing on your mind isn't like, well, why don't I apply for this like six month minimum process to cross legally and just like wait and hope the UK eventually gets to me and eventually says that I can come and then go in maybe a year when it's finally time like when you are operating under extenuating circumstances when you are operating in dangerous conditions you have to do what you have to do and if you have to cross in a small boat on the english channel perhaps that is the only way perhaps what we should be thinking of is instead of how can we deter people from doing that we could think why are they doing that in the first place what problems are there that we can solve that would stop people from going and rather than shame and penalize those people we actually come up with a solution that better helps those people it's just a thought so those are just some ironies that i've noticed is that the uk really does have a long track record of boasting about how great they are at receiving refugees and migrants and asylum seekers and how they recognize that like their nation is great because of refugees and those populations and yet in the same breath they make this whole system that just like makes it someone else's problem which is just baffling to see it is baffling to see a government talk about how great they are at receiving populations who desperately need help and then also see them come up with a plan that literally just gives them a one-way ticket and it's like what if they don't want to go to rwanda Like, they might not speak the language, they don't know the culture down there, like, and if they want to go to a third country, which we will talk about, there is a home office lawyer who has some choice words about this plan, who thinks that, oh, well, they could just go to a different country, it's like, how? I don't know. It's just, it's baffling. The ironies are endless, but the important parts that I wanted to mention is that it breaches the refugee convention um, in many, many ways, and we will talk in the next segment about how it also lays groundwork to breach the agreement signed in the Geneva Convention. So talking a little bit about the reception, I mentioned the home office lawyer who had some choice words. His name is David Panic, And I just want to read his whole quote because I think it's worth reading the entirety of. He says, quote, If we choose, for whatever reason, not to assess the asylum claim on its merits, but return the individual to a third country that is safe both directly and indirectly, then... We, the United Kingdom, have complied with our duties under this convention. There is undoubtedly a detriment because the asylum seeker is unable to claim asylum in the country of their preference. Our point is that they have no such right under the convention, end quote. Which is just wild. Essentially, what David here is saying is that the UK is still complying with what they signed to do in the refugee convention because rather than accepting the refugees and accepting their claim to asylum, they are sending them to a third country that is equally as safe as the UK that will also then 
accept their claim to asylum. And by doing that, they are still technically following the rules of the Refugee Convention, which, given the previous segment when I talk about the UNHCR's point of view, who literally say that it is a penalty, that they are in fact breaking the Refugee Convention, I don't think David Panic really has that much of a leg to stand on here. But what I thought was really interesting is that he says this whole thing about how the third country is safe, both directly and indirectly, and the UK have then complied with their duties. And of course, it's a detriment because the asylum seeker can't claim asylum in the country of their preference. However, they don't have the right to have a preference. And it's like, they do. They definitely do. I mean, they crossed all this way to get to the UK. And I I know that maybe the language isn't explicitly saying like they have the right to stay in the country that they want to. But from everything that I've seen about the Rwanda plan, they don't really have any way of assessing the people crossing the English Channel. Like they don't have any way of saying like, are you coming here? for like family, for a specific job lined up, for a specific circumstance that would lead you to the UK specifically. For all intents and purposes, it really seems like it is a system that if you entered on the boat, you are sent to Rwanda. And so I think that it's kind of rich for him to say that they don't have the right to have a preference of their country seeking asylum when they don't seem to really be like categorizing any refugees or migrants or asylum seekers in any specific way that would then understand better the circumstances as to why they entered the UK. And I think you can't really just say, yeah, it's a detriment. It's definitely a bummer that they can't claim asylum in the country that they want, but they don't really have the right to do that if you're also not assessing the reasons why they may have come to the UK. I think if you develop a system where you take stock of the reasons why they specifically chose the UK, then perhaps you could have more of a claim of like, well, there's no real reason that they came to the UK other than that it's safer than their home country. I don't think that he can make this claim. And once again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm sure some lawyer out there listening is like, well, he has every right to say this. And I'm sure he has every right to say it, but I have every right to disagree and say that that is like a shameful response because at the end of the day, these are human beings who are just seeking a better life, a better living condition maybe they're seeking safety. Like, until we are in those circumstances ourselves, we we will never know how much someone is willing to do to find safety for their family or find a better life for their children or themselves or their family in general. And I think that it is just a very cold response to say that there is a detriment because they can't claim asylum in the country of their preference, but they don't have the right to do that. I think that that is dealing with it in a very cold manner, and I think that if the UK is going to continue to boast about how great they are at receiving refugees, perhaps they should maybe take a look at everything else that they're saying. Maybe they should take a look at what David Panic is saying. Because there are bigger detriments than just the asylum seekers not being able to claim asylum in the country of their preference. There are bigger problems with the Rwanda plan than just well, they're going to be sad we're sending them to Rwanda. Like, there are bigger problems there. And I will leave David Panic alone for now and continue with some of the other problems that the Rwanda plan would cause. So if the Rwanda plan comes through, people fear that it will also, quote, advance the idea that states can pay to cast off their responsibilities they signed up to under the 1951 Geneva Convention, end quote. So the UK signed the Geneva Convention, And now they are kind of not only breaking the Refugee Convention, but also the Geneva Convention by just giving their responsibilities to another country. And like what the quote is saying, if the Rwanda plan comes into fruition and starts working, maybe other countries will think, oh, well, we can do that too. 
just like shill off the responsibilities that they signed up for in the Geneva Convention. And I just don't think that that is a respectable thing to do. I think you sign the Geneva Convention, you have to figure out a system. You can't just shill off the responsibility to another country. And another quote that I wanted to read is from migrationpolicy.org. And they say, quote, if the UK government is successful in reducing the number of asylum seekers arriving spontaneously, or at least can sell that image to the domestic public, the policy will have achieved this political aim, end quote. And I think that it's really important to highlight that vocabulary of at least sell that image to the domestic public, because this plan just might not work because there's literally no proof it will there is no proof out there that sending refugees to rwanda will then decrease the amount of refugees coming to the uk so the fact that they are touting that this is going to be this huge problem solver is rich because there's no proof that it will and additionally it's like the quote says like if they are successful in reducing the number of asylum seekers then that will work then the plan will have worked which it won't but in theory, or at least can sell the image that it does. And I think that that is the dangerous part because it leads to this, it leads this vulnerable population to be subject to more objectification and desensitization. And like they are more subject to be used as manipulation or political fodder for people to gain political power. And I think that that is one of the worst things that you can do because these are people just trying to find better living conditions and you are using them as political pawns. And if you can sell the image that sending them to Rwanda works, then I think we are just opening the floodgates for even worse reception of refugees for people and governments casting their responsibilities aside to other countries who will take it for them. And I think that that is just like the tip of the iceberg. And Additionally, this is also putting a lot of strain on the populations who already have successfully started lives in the UK. This man, Graham Durham, who works with asylum seekers and refugees in Northwest London, he stated, quote, refugees and migrants are being treated abominably, and now they're being put under threat of removal to a country they've never heard of in some cases, end quote. And I think that that is a phenomenal way of putting it, because refugees and migrants are already treated very poorly in the UK. No matter how much Boris Johnson and Liz Truss and everyone else wants to tout that they're great, they are treated abominably, like Graham Durham says. And now they're being threatened that they're going to be removed to a country that they might not even know of. Not only it, would there be a language barrier, or cultural barrier, they might not even know geographically where they are anymore. And they will be further separated from family because there's no plan on whether or not a whole family will go or if it's just subject to some people. In my last episode, Unpacking the Lingo, Refugee, I talked a lot about how some people are granted refugee status and some people aren't. And so in some cases, children are, but the father isn't. And so then would the father be subject to removal to Rwanda while the children stay in the UK? And so it's just, it's causing much more problems than it is solving. And the UK government is turning a blind eye to it. And so now we get to what we can do about it. Of course, spreading the word is an important one. I had no idea that this was happening until August of this year, when it has been in the news since January, I think, January or April, earlier this year, and I had no idea what it was. And so spreading the word is very important because more people need to know that this is something that is trying to take off. Because like I said, it is very much the tip of the iceberg. If it takes off, then who knows what the following consequences will be with other countries. There is a hashtag. It's hashtag Stop Rwanda. If you want like one nice cheat sheet for what you can do, there is a organization called Care for Calais. 
So that is C-A-R-E, the number four, C-A-L-A-I-S. And they have links to donate. They have links to spread the word. They have a bunch of ways of spreading the word. They have all this information about what's happening with the Rwanda plan. And they are also showing what protests are happening in the UK. So if you are in the UK, going to protests is a great thing to do. If any of them are happening in the US or in any other country, going to those definitely helps, especially making sure that it's not something that your home country is starting to do. And just making sure that this is something that people talk about because I had no idea this was happening. And maybe that's on, it's definitely on me to an extent, but the US news like isn't talking about it at all. And I think that that is a huge detriment in the wise words of David Panic to use the word detriment because this is only the start. If people start thinking that they have the right to just expel refugees who are seeking safety to a third country that will take them, I am genuinely like scared for what would happen next. I think that people need to just suck it up and realize that their systems don't work and figure out ways of bettering the systems. It's like I said earlier, rather than punishing the people crossing on the boat, maybe look at why they are specifically crossing on the boat and figure out a solution that would better help those people so they don't have to cross on the boat so that there's a safer way for them to do it. Don't just send them to Rwanda. And of course, the more stuff that comes out on what you can do or information about the Rwanda plan, I will, of course, post on social medias at Becoming Europe Pod on Instagram. And I will leave all the links to the sources I read and additionally websites that you can go to to learn more and also to learn what more you can do in terms of spreading the word, hashtags, protests, etc. So thanks for listening. This has been Becoming Europe. We release episodes twice a month. One interview, one current event, or Unpacking the Lingo episode. Unpacking the Lingo, we dive into the words that are thrown around by the media about the refugee crisis and kind of unpack them in a less sensationalized way. And thank you for listening. You can find us at social media on Instagram at Becoming Europe Pod. Special thank you to Dylan Ashton, who is my assistant producer. I have an assistant producer now, Dylan Ashton. Thank you so much for all your help. You know, just helping out making this podcast something that is bigger than I even thought it would be. So thank you, Dylan. And thank you for listening. And tune in next time to continue to discover with me what exactly the stakes are in Becoming Europe.